2: The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media.
1: And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us.
2: From social media to citizen journalism.
1: To the logo on the front of your favourite t-shirt.
2: It's all part of the Communication Mixdown.
1: Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown.
2: Cranking up. Right here on 3CR.
1: for progressive people around the world it's been a hard start to the year trump is rolling out his racist agenda inspiring increased racial religious and gender-based hatred across the globe It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online, 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe
2: we're communication mixed down and i'm jen ma
1: i'm john langer and this is a special edition of communication Mixdown this week this is where we ask you to become a subscriber to 3cr and as you heard in that promo it's never been more important to keep 3 cr on the on the air it's a critical, Jen, I would say. It's a critical historical moment. It's the era of alternative facts, fake news, social media surveillance, all of which, by the way, we've covered in some form or other on Communication Mixdown. So it's very important to have independent media like 3 c on the air. So like Molly Meldrum used to say, do yourself a favor and subscribe to 3CR.
2: <laughs> and to encourage you, we've got a bribe to subscribers. If you need a bribe, John. To sign up to 3CR and as you say this is our time this is our post-truthy time to make your stand and our bribe um, we have Jackie Dickinson she is a well she's not the bribe she's a social historian who's working at Melbourne University and she's had a long career in the advertising industry so she's co-authored a book on the history of the advertising industry in Australia that's just been published and it's entitled Behind Glass Doors The World of Australian Advertising Agencies Between 1959 and 1989. So a glimpse from the dark side. And we're going to be hearing from Jackie Dickinson in just a few minutes, talking about the historical research she did for the book. So in the meantime, The Bribe to Subscribe, we've got a copy of that book to give away to the first person who calls the station and pledges to subscribe. I'm laughing because I know John's going to have to do a dash to the phone, the number here is nine four one nine eight three double seven or nine four one nine eight three double seven that's the same number well, so we're, so we're, do call and um so I can watch John run that would be good and
1: look if that doesn't appeal if that book doesn't appeal we've got another book to bribe you with as well and this is one for the TV fans of the iconic television series in the 1990s the x files and There must be a few X-Files fans out there. Jen, I'd say uh, the book is called Deny All Knowledge, Reading the X-Files. It's a collection of essays and commentary on the cultural and political significance of the show. And I have to say, maybe even the X-Files is foreshadowing (laughs) the rise of Trump. He's a bit of an alien, isn't he? It's the hair and the orange skin. Anyway, there's got to be some Files fans out there please ring us and subscribe, the number is 94198377 there's two rates there's a, a regular rate and there's a concession rate as well
2: Good, and should we tell them that other number which is 94198377 Correct oh, well. Wow. <laughs> All right, so we've got our um, Jackie Dickinson interview coming up now. As we said before, the book's called Behind Glass Doors, The World of Australian Advertising Agencies, 1959 to 1989. Jackie is one of the co-authors, and the interview begins with John asking about the book's title.
1: I thought we'd start today with the title of your book. Book titles are very good places (laughs) to start. And the title of your book is Behind Glass Doors, the world of Australian advertising agencies 1959 to 1989. I want to ask you something very straightforward. Who are these advertising agencies that you're referring to? Obviously you can't list them all, but just give us a few that we might know and also some of the ads that they might be famous for that they produced.
0: Well, the the agencies, uh, JWT, J. Walter Thompson, which is the first international agency to arrive in Australia in the 20s and 30s. McCann Erickson, which is the, the one that sparks the whole, the, the, the 1959 aspect of it. They arrive in 1959 and they they want to set up in Australia because they need to service Coca-Cola, the client Coca-Cola. Um, Ogilvy and May, there is another one that, that plays a big role in the book. But, but really, it's not based around the agencies so much. It's about the people who worked in the agencies. And so some of these people worked in many, many of the agencies. Right. Yes. So they ran across. Oh, yeah. Because um, – it's quite normal to maybe stay only two to four years in an advertising agency and you move on. And
1: Now, to go, keep going on yes. with the title, part of the title is The World of Australian Advertising Agencies 1959 to 1989. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering why those dates were chosen.
0: Well, the, the dates are chosen because really before that period, um, advertising in Australia was very much um, run by a family business, a family, uh, a man who had... Um, clients who were his friends, and uh, and fifty nine is the time when, as I said, McCanns arrive. And that to service Coca-Cola in Australia, it's really the beginning of the globalisation of Australian advertising. That's not to say that Australia didn't have advertising before, but it did. But this is when it takes off. And then the next 30 years until eighty nine, and the introduction of um, computers, and which changes everything, and um, shifts in um, the financial aspects of advertising as well, which changes everything too. Um, those 30 years, Robert and I are really... Really arguing that they are the 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 golden. I, don't, I hate that term, golden age, because it's such a cliche. But that's really what we're saying. That this was this was a, a very very exciting time to be working in advertising in Australia.
1: And uh, I want to go. I uh, keep keep on with the uh, title. Yeah. Um, Behind glass yep. doors. Yep. Now, what I'm I got from reading your <laughs> book is, y- you're getting inside yep. to look at what's inside yep. these agencies. Yep. And you're a historian, you're using what I, I gleaned from the book is an oral history methodology, yeah. and you talked to an astonishing number of people who worked in the industry, 120 people, yeah. what were you asking them?
0: Well, we were asking them a range of questions, but I'll just talk about why we did this took this approach in the first place I, I took for many years I worked in the advertising industry and I taught advertising and one of the things that I really that were well, two things bothered me about teaching advertising in Australia. one was that you you didn't really have any Australian studies to use. they were kind of American models or sometimes u k models, and so I was really interested in having some information on the Australian advertising industry, but also um people try and, and academics or scholars try and, and look at advertisements as texts and then connect them to um, the kind of impact they might have on the consumer. And and, and it's very kind of a tenuous thing. So I uh, was very influenced by a scholar from the UK, Liz McFall, um, who who argues, I think, quite convincingly that we need... To actually look at the worldviews of the people who are making these advertisements, to really understand um, uh, the messages that are implied in the words and the images that these that these people make, and that, that's not just the creative people; that's the clients. What, what do they? And, and so, I think in that way, you can argue, you know, you can you can make stronger arguments about the connections between. Um, an advertisement and and consumer behavior
1: and behind glass doors i 'm <laughs> assuming it 's a it 's a kind of a metaphor but it's it 's a, 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 a literal thing as well in the sense that offices had these glass doors well yeah actually
0: robert came up with that really early on when we first started working on the um on the project and i I don't know if you've ever been to an advertising agency but even now that it's kind of on display you work it's all glass and there's usually a, a very attractive young woman sitting behind a big desk and 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 that's um the performance of the advertising agency for the client and so it kind of it had that that but we literally behind glass doors, but also because we were actually going into the agency um, really to, to places where nobody had really interviewed people about their actual work practices <laughs> and who these people were.
1: And uh, what did you ask?
0: We were interested in who these people were. What kind of education they'd had, um, um, what were their backgrounds, how did they get into advertising? Which is, you know, uh, very, unless, unless somebody's an artist, a graphic designer or a commercial artist where they ha- have had formal training at art college, then often it's a very just, oh, dad had a friend and he mentioned to him at dinner that, you know, and he said, oh, what you? you know, so, so. We wanted to look at that. Um, We wanted to look at their attitudes towards um, gender issues in the workplace, um, towards hierarchical issues. You know um, how how they saw American advertising compared to British advertising, which is a a big um, Mm. a a big difference in in kind of, especially in the creativity. Um, So a range of issues. had they travelled overseas had they worked overseas what had they learnt and brought back because um, that's a, a big aspect of the book is this this idea that um an exchange and it's not just one way although the advertising industry is is really an american kind of phenomenon um and a lot of people a lot of people think that it just kind of goes out and and um Imposes itself on other countries. In actual fact, that's not what happens because um, it, 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 that something new is made in in the country that takes on the American. Avatar. You
1: were saying uh, the um, the informal networking, um, the, the, the dad's <laughs> friend and <laughs> yeah, so on. Yeah. My impression from reading the book was that was very much early days. That yes, was, that was early days, yes, and yeah, things yeah. changed. Yeah. In the process of the time that you were doing the re- absolutely t- at, from fifty nine yep. to eighty nine, yep. it was much more professionalized. Yep. Tell the, the the beginnings literally people, young men mostly would yeah. would come in when they were sixteen years old or
0: even younger. Some of these agencies like J W T or George Pattersons were very large, and they would have they would take on ten. Maybe ten boys, and um, as dispatch boys across a few years, and and with the idea of moving them up through, through um, into other parts of the agency. So um, the shift really becomes with the opening up of um, higher education in Australia, and um, adopting um, what's happening in in the U.S. in terms of um, marketing education. But that's driven by the clients. Really, the clients want. That they're being educated in marketing and that now they want advertising agencies who actually um, can match them on that.
1: Now, throughout your book, scattered references are made to the TV series Mad (laughs) Men. Was the reference to Mad Men something that your respondents talked about or was it something that you were kind of thinking about? And also the question is... How representative Mm. did your respondents think that series was in relation to what they were doing? Yeah,
0: I think that's a very interesting question. I I think... um um, on, on the question of the treatment of women, I mean that's one reason why I wanted to write the other book about women in advertising because this idea that Peggy is like this first copywriter ever—I mean it's just wrong. I mean they, women have been working as very successful copywriters since 1910s, 1920s in the U.S. So there were aspects of it that were obviously it's a TV series, so they have to kind of um, you know boil it down to so, yeah, um, but. The one thing I think that comes through from all the interviews is that for young people, working in advertising in this period was fun. It was just great fun. You were with like-minded people who were creative, had lots of energy, were quite bright. I mean, you, you know, not uh, not everybody, but it's, usually it attracts quite bright people. And so I think that aspect and also this whole business of um of the lunches and the boozing and which has really gone, not completely, but has, has pretty much gone now. I think they could relate to that. You know, the fact that Pete and Don have always having a whiskey. I don't know. I don't think it would have been a whiskey necessarily, but, but many of them told us about going to lunch, especially creatives and and not coming back. And I, I mean, I worked in the industry for 30 years and I did that too, you know, for at least 15 years of it. Mm. Um, maybe not every day but but many days so I think there's there's some truth in it but it's exaggerated and of course what you don't see really because they're all so glamorous is you know advertising is fun but it's also a very it is it, a very draining industry to work in you're expected to work very long hours at um, a time of a pitch or whatever and and so once you flip over into your late 20s or early and you've got family responsibilities that whole aspect of it becomes you know and so people did speak about that and people get burnt out in advertising around 35 usually so yeah
1: this is communication mixed down and we are running a special subscriber drive edition we've got a bribe to subscribe Two books. Well, actually only one because Mark Martin Armstrong called in uh, from Warrandyte and uh, he's decided that he'd like to subscribe and he's taken the book on advertising that's Behind Glass Doors, The World of Australian Advertising Agencies, 1959 to 1989. And that's exactly what our interview this week is all about. The other book, which is still available, and make sure you... Call in if you're interested in this book or indeed keeping 3CR on the air for, well, forever. Denial Knowledge, Reading the X-Files, it's a collection of essays and commentary on the cultural and political significance of this show from the 1990s. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR... Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much.
2: So let's get back to the interview with Jackie Dickinson. She's talking about the golden age of creativity in the Australian advertising industry.
1: I wanted to also ask you about what you called in the book the creative revolution. Mm. You talk quite extensively about this in, in the advertising industry. It started around the mid 60s what yeah. was the creative revolution
0: well really i think what what's ha- what happens in the 50s is you start to get the beat generation and people who are starting to question the cons- young young people a new generation who are questioning the um the affluence and the consumption of their parents who you know uh, are the, are the consumers of the 50s they're just um, buying cars and buying refrigerators and whatever and you get a whole generation um, this is connected to, I think, um, anti-Vietnam War, just anti-establishment, known as the counterculture. And so, advertising people like Bill Bernbach in New York, they they start to become a bit concerned about this because what if you have a whole generation who stops shopping? What do you do um, in ca- in a capitalist society? So they start to appropriate the um, kinds of images and texts that, that are appearing on university campuses in, in um, America in the early 60s. And that tone, that kind of more um, one-to-one, more um, hu- more humour, the use of you to the consumer, direct, rather than we're the great advertiser and this is what we're doing. Um, so Bill Birnbach is really the, the, the main example of this. He's, he, um, he starts to... Um, just change the the whole tone of advertising. It becomes more playful, more engaging, um, more fun.
1: What was his? Uh, what were some of the ads? Lemon,
0: the the Volkswagen campaign, um, where it's just the picture of the the beetle, and it just says lemon, and it just talks about how um, it's it's not flash. It's just it's just a basic. You know, so it's kind of so it, it taps into to kind of anti-consumerist, you know, Rachel Carson, um, you know, and that whole idea that that is wasteful to, to, you know, Vance Packard, that whole wasteful mm-hmm. thing. So, so he's they're they're trying to rescue the advertising industry out of this c- counterculture. The other thing that he does, not just him, but I think Mary Wells, and there are other people who do it too, is they put for the first time. the the copywriter and the art director together as a team so the creative people are suddenly a kind of powerhouse in the agency that they weren't before what used to happen is a copywriter would kind of come up with some some ideas for the ad and then just like poke it under the studio's door and just say draw something up will you Mm. and there's a recognition by Burnback and then the creative revolution people in New York that um that Image imagery is really crucial. That it's not just about text, and and, it's, and this is tied into technological television, technological changes. It's all connected. Yeah.
1: Something that I wasn't aware of, which uh, was interesting in your in your book, was advertising agencies in Australia went off to Southeast Asia. Yes. To yeah. work in advertising, yeah. particularly in Hong Kong and yeah. Singapore. Yeah. yeah. What happened there?
0: You've got. Americans wanting to have a presence in Asia, right? Now, they're a bit nervous about just rocking up and doing that, you know, for various reasons. So what they do is they set up in Australia and then that becomes a launching pad because Australians have had more connections, obviously. Like, for example, in my book on women in advertising, I write about a woman, Alma Kelly, who leaves Australia in 1931 and goes to Shanghai and sets up... What becomes the Cafe um, Advertising Network, which is in Manila, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore. This is a, an Australian woman in 1931. And that is bought out by Ted Bates, which is in New York, but, but through George Patterson's. They're training them to be leaders uh, of globalized agencies.
1: I, I guess that in terms of the dynamic that you're talking about, the process when we think of globalization we always think of the the center imposing this yeah, kind it's of not, structure yeah, yeah, whereas yeah, you're saying it's it's yeah. a much more fluid yeah, process yeah. and in fact mm. the australian uh, agencies that went into southeast asia were actually creating an environment which they could send back to the centre in a way to, Ab- to, absolutely. to to develop issues and 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 concepts.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, that's right. Going back to the
1: yeah. um, creative revolution, and one of the things again, one of the things that comes out of it is that the the larger companies that that open their offices in Australia tended to be generally conservative and there were these what you called boutique yeah. uh, advertising yeah. agencies.
0: What really happened it, here is not the American influence in terms of the creativity it was the British influence, it was the British people coming out and they start to come out, people like Lionel Hunt and Ron Mather in the in the late 60s and the early 70s and these are the people that set up the campaign palace which is probably the best example of a, a highly creative boutique agency. Spanish I worked for um, John singleton really picks up um, the creative revolution and that very um, uh, intimate tone between the advertiser and the reader and the consumer and and kind of makes uh, a, an Australian version of that you know so you worked you
1: were as a as a, a I was
0: an I I was an art director. Yeah, I I worked at FCB in London, and um, and I they sent me to Chicago, and I worked there for a while, and then I kind of got itchy feet, and was you know, so I came out and I worked at FCB Spasm, which was in Melbourne. So what happened by then? Spasm had this was in the early eighties. So Spasm had. Um, been around for I think maybe 10 years by then and then they uh, were bought out. by. But this is what happened. These these great little boutique agencies would get a great reputation and win win lots of awards and then they would be bought out.
1: In terms of your research, what was the biggest surprise in relation to your findings? Was there something that was really startling that was really critical for the way that you interpreted what you were doing? Yeah,
0: people who worked in the industry were very reluctant to critique the industry, um, especially in terms of it's um, the ethnic mix in the industry and the gender roles in the industry. And I would say out of our 110 interviews or 100, I can't remember, 120 interviews, 10% were willing to go in that. So people... I mean, but this is an aspect of oral history. When, you know the People have had very successful careers, most of them. I mean, really bright, very, very bright people, really interesting people. But you want to look back on your life and not think about the bad of it, you know, mm-hmm. the bad aspects. Or perhaps you don't even see those, those aspects. And um, it's a very – it was a, um, a very kind of white bread industry very male industry um there were working class boys coming in but but majority wouldn't have have been been that so but there was very little reflection on that and I think we were surprised by that (laughs) actually <laughs> and it's
1: interesting that you've mentioned gender and ethnicity because mm. those are the two areas that in fact the advertising industry does get criticized yeah, for absolutely. in, in relation well, to what I think we've produce- just shown what know. it produces
0: yeah, I think we've just shown why that might happen, which is kind of really why I wanted to do this project because you 've got to understand who's making this stuff to to realize what Mm. what you're ending up with in the uh, in the end. And uh, I, I don't want to criticise this. People were really, really generous with their time. And when you actually think about what you're doing, it becomes quite a bit trickier, I think. So. Mm.
1: Okay, so you're a, a social historian. You're a historian of advertising. What would you be thinking about in terms of an investigation if you had to do or you decided to write another book from nineteen ninety to two thousand and seventeen.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that I think we, we do want to do that, um, and that will be about the check the financial changes in the industry because basically what happens I don't know if you've heard of Harold Mitchell. Yeah, and well, so um, media the media agency media is taken out of the advertising agency, and um, and so they lose a whole income stream. So now instead of um, getting commission on the the placements the the media placements the television um, channels or whatever they they do everything on a fee basis so the the financial rug is pulled out of the advertising industry and it hasn't recovered it hasn't we argue in in this book that really from from that
2: late 80s this is the beginning of the end So that was Jackie Dickinson. She's a former copywriter in the advertising business and she's now a social historian at the University of Melbourne. She was talking there about her book called Behind Glass Doors. It's the world of Australian advertising agencies from 1959 to 1989. And she was talking there to Communication Mixdown co-presenter John Langer a couple of weeks ago. Now, John's here in the studio with me. And we still have one book to give away, don't we, John, on the X-Files?
1: Indeed. And uh, please subscribe. We still got this book. It's called Deny All Knowledge, Reading the X-Files. And uh, we have it for you. The number is nine four one nine eight three double seven.
2: So that's it for Communication Mixdown this week. We'll be here next Thursday talking about all things media.